It's me, Chelsea Fairless. <laughs> Welcome to our very first Reboot Rewatch episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Zip. Zip is a leading global buy now, pay later app accepted at thousands of retailers in store and online, which allows you to pay for your purchases over time. Something that Carrie could have used during the original series. Well, she can use it now. <laughs> All right, shall we get into it? I don't know where to start. And it's really, I mean, I don't think I've ever been this excited to record a podcast with you. <laughs> Usually when we talk about something, we've at least exchanged a few texts about it or had private conversations, but we actually haven't talked to each other at all. No, it really, it was the closest I felt to Christmas where we just kept checking the HBO app to see if it had <laughs> uploaded and it wasn't on the main page at midnight. Guys, we're working on like a few hours of sleep because we watched this when it came out. Yeah, we watched it in the middle of the night and then I woke up this morning and I was like, did I fucking hallucinate that? <laughs> <sighs> where should we start? I mean, the first episode, the first scene... Where are the girls at now generally? Like Yeah, I'm I'm not gonna lie, the first scene with the dialogue and the music cues made me very, very nervous. It felt like, you know, Mad About You presents Sex in the City, but it, it balanced out throughout the course of the first two episodes. Yeah, it's amazing how much they packed into the first minute. It's like they've acknowledged the pandemic twice. <laughs> They've explained Samantha's absence. They've run into Bitsy Von Muffling, who looks fabulous, by the way. She had some fierce looks in this episode. In the first the, two. In the first two episodes, yes. Honestly, yeah. To us, the first two episodes were kind of the length, two-thirds of the length of each of the films. Yeah. Like, that was a two-hour experience. Well, I did feel like I got to see the long lost Sex in the City 3 film because as we now know, um, much of the plot carries over. <laughs> Pun intended. <laughs> Pun intended. Look, a lot of the dialogue I felt, especially in the first half of this episode, was a little forced. It was a little tilted towards the audience because they needed to explain stuff. So a lot of conversations felt like, wouldn't you have had this conversation already? Like, Right. I mean, the first episode of every show is always just kind of terrible because you have to put everything in context. You have to catch everybody up, you know? Yeah, like Miranda says, well, as you know, I'm getting my master's in human rights so that I can <laughs> add that to my law degree so that I can represent people in trouble as we all know <laughs> um, I'm surprised you just didn't look straight into the barrel of the camera like it's the office or something well yes and later uh, in the episode we learned that this career was inspired by hearing about the Muslim ban on CNN that was rough because it was like as two people that wrote the book we should all be Miranda's I was like of course Miranda would go down to JFK when you heard about the Muslim ban I was like yeah and then Miranda the next sentence admits that she wore a pink pussy hat and I was like no this bitch would not wear a pussy hat this bitch would make fun of people that wear pussy hats I mean I'm not surprised that she 
watches Rachel Maddow and had some sort of breakdown that caused her to move away from corporate law, which is pretty like devilish thing to do with your time. Again, I refuse to go back to the second film because we don't acknowledge it. But wasn't that her end beat at the end of the second film? She found a better lawyer job. I think it was mostly just better because like they ate big salads outdoors and stuff. I don't know if she was taking on a lot of like really important pro bono work or anything. But okay, so to catch everyone up, Miranda is going back to school. She's still married to Steve. Steve apparently has hearing loss and is just like not very sexy in general. In this opening scene, she's trying to seek validation for the fact that she caught or she found the remnants of uh, Brady having sex and okay she stepped on a used condom I mean just saying like she found the remnants of Brady having <laughs> sex is a very strange way of wording that sorry I'm I, I guess I'm being like Carrie but I don't know again I found the energy of this opening lunch scene so weird because Miranda wants some kind of acknowledgement and Carrie is just changing the subject but do you know who would have acknowledged Miranda in that scene <laughs> Samantha? Samantha. <laughs> well, also, Charlotte was, like, hell-bent on getting Miranda to dye her hair. She's like, girl, like, before you go back to school, can you dye your hair? You look ugly. It's like, fuck off, Charlotte. They're all kind of bitches to each other. <laughs> <laughs> well, they don't seem to be happy, you know? Like, this is not a show about... You know, some fun loving gals going out on the town and shopping and fucking guys and having fun. This is about women in their 50s that are lost and on the verge of nervous breakdowns in the case of Carrie and Miranda. I mean, Charlotte seems to be barely, barely hanging on. Um, Do you think it's a mic drop statement when you're trying to argue with her friend or badger your friend into dyeing her hair again that Ruth Bader Ginsburg dyed her hair? <laughs> Yeah, but we don't really know much about Charlotte's plot line yet. All we really know about her is that she's still married to Harry. She's still doing her Upper East Side mom thing. Her daughters are obviously older now. Um, she's still doing the most. She has, you know, a gender nonconforming child that she's forcing to wear floral Oscar de la Renta dresses. We've talked about this since the paparazzi photos, but what was that placement that Oscar de la Renta got? I mean, what blood oath did Oscar de la Renta sign with and just like that? Because SJP also wore it to the opening. To the premiere, yeah. yeah. Do you think Petrovsky's like, my friend, Oscar? <laughs> Chelsea, did you notice that Carrie Bradshaw is essentially us? That she is a reluctant Instagram influencer and podcaster now? Wait, she's an influencer? So they show Carrie taking a creeper shot of people's outfits to put on her Instagram. Right, right. Which we've been already getting a lot of DMs that Carrie would never use an Android. And when I was rewatching the episode, everyone this morning, uses Androids. There are no iPhones on this show. No, Carrie has two phones. Because in that uh, dining opening scene, she's got the Android that she texts with on the table and she's filming the guy with an iPhone. If you notice, she's wearing two bags also with this outfit. So hmm. two cell phones for two bags. <laughs> Interesting. I did not notice that. Yeah, it seems like Charlotte's going to have a plot line where her child is non-binary. I mean, that feels eminent. We posited that Charlotte would get a woke storyline, but it seems to be Miranda, which we'll get into that in a in a second. 
So they quickly dealt with the fact of what happened to Samantha, and I cannot believe that that New York Post rumor was true, which is that her and Carrie had a falling out because Carrie let her go as a publicist. Yeah, that was nuts. Yeah, and then Carrie said, I thought I was more than an ATM card to her. It's like, okay, I've always had the sense that Samantha had more money than Carrie. Like, Samantha was managing Smith Jared's career. She doesn't need that, like, $5,000 retainer a month from Carrie Bradshaw, Inc. Or what do you think her corporation is called? Hello Lover, Inc.? Uh, probably. Also, it's established in the first film that Samantha started a management company. She got out of PR and started a management company, and Smith Jared was her first client. Right. Well, Samantha went to London, and I have to ask you, Chelsea, do you think she took a job with Annabelle Bronstein? <laughs> You know what? I think she may be assuming Annabelle Bronstein's <laughs> identity. She's going all the way this time. But I also thought it was kind of fucked up that, you know, Miranda and Carrie were talking about it. And they're like, you know, have you texted her? She never texts me back. It's like, was she murdered? Like, are you guys looking into this enough? You know what I mean? Again, that was another example early on of dialogue that's obviously more meant for us as the audience watching it that doesn't quite make sense in the real world of the show. You imagine that at some point during the pandemic, Samantha took off. But apparently it's something they don't talk about, you know? Isn't that what Carrie says? It's like, we never even talk about her. Like no. it's Fight Club or something. Miranda says, it is like she's dead because they rickroll us in the beginning where it's, where Charlotte goes to Bitsy Von Muffling. She's not here anymore. She's not with us. She's no longer with us, is what she says. And then Charlotte has to clarify. It's like, oh no, she's not dead. She's just not here. Which I thought was funny. I thought that was cool. I wonder if maybe next season Carrie does shift into true crime podcasting and it's like, what happened to Samantha? You know, again, like the searching for Richard Simmons podcast, searching for Samantha Jones. Yeah, exactly. I think something sinister could have gone down, especially after watching the show You pretty recently and like how easy it is to murder someone and then just kind of like take their phone and like make all their friends think that they just moved. You know, it's like not that hard. So Carrie being terrible with technology was all a long con. So in the first scene, we also learned that Carrie is now a podcaster. She is on a show called X, Y, and Me that's basically like a straight woman, a straight guy, and a non-binary person talking about sex and relationships, right? Except they seem to do none of that in the scene we're shown. It's kind of like love line. Yeah. I have questions. <laughs> Would you listen to this podcast? <laughs> no. Okay. So here's my... <laughs> I understand for the show narrative, Carrie needs to be a podcaster. But in, in the world of Sex and the City or in the world of And Just Like That, how did Carrie even get on this podcast? Because it seems like Che works at the radio station that seems to be like an edgier NPR of sorts. Right. Or maybe they're on a podcast network. But it's made clear that not only does Carrie want this job, she needs this job. Not like us that are just two yahoos that decide <laughs> to buy some mics and talk to each other. Right, exactly. I was mostly just surprised that she was part of an ensemble when she could be the star of the show. Like she was in her columns, you know? Like I would think that if Carrie had a podcast, it would be some combination of like Esther Perel and Sophia Amoroso. 
Right. It seems like she would just do, you know, a relationship advice, interview show, that sort of thing. Or if it was a concept show, it would be, again, I don't know how much I would love this as a storyline, but thinking as a podcast producer, as I am one, if you took Carrie and put Carrie with the modern day equivalent of Carrie, like an Alex Cooper call your daddy. Right, right. Anyway, she's not on that podcast. She's on this podcast and she's a little prudish is the problem, right? Like Shay confronts her in the elevator and basically says that she has to like step up her pussy game or something. Is that like workplace harassment? I think so. I do love that the writers understood that Carrie's shtick wouldn't fly today. And I like to think that our discourse about Carrie helped this <laughs> along in the show. But she's trying to do her Carrie with cynicisms. <laughs> is that a word? Yeah, I mean, I think the joke about masturbating in Barney's is great. That felt like close to the humor of the show and fab. Uh, never taking the A train because she doesn't do anal. I'm disappointed because when, you know, she said that Big liked to color outside the lines, I always assumed anal, but clearly I was incorrect. My personal highlight was Carrie's gloves that she's evidently adopted during the pandemic so she doesn't have to touch anything. Right. When she was podcasting, she basically had like two Michael Jackson gloves on, which I thought was cool. I mean, I like how the costume designers thought about how the pandemic would have impacted her style. Like we also saw her wearing caftans around the house, which I feel like was a deliberate reaction to how ubiquitous sweatpants have become and athleisure and shit like that. Well, I did want to ask you about Carrie's bedroom caftan and how you felt about that. I thought it was incredibly chic. To me, Carrie's caftan was a standout moment. Also, Bitsy Von Muffling's funeral outfit, spoiler alert, I thought was very chic. And everything that Nicole Ari Parker wore was really fabulous. I feel like she got the most fashion of anyone in these episodes. Yeah, she, her style is kind of a Samantha Carey hybrid. Yeah, it's very chic. I thought she looked really cool. I wondered if they were going to pick up on the series. If you remember, there was a theme that was like throughout each episode. And I kind of wondered if the theme of this episode was going to be masturbation because that's the one thing that Carrie doesn't really want to talk about or she deflects on the podcast is have you masturbated publicly so in the next scene when she's in the chic bedroom caftan she asks Big if he masturbates which seems a little weird more than a decade into your marriage <laughs> and 20 years into a relationship now she's like do you masturbate and it's not because I went back do you still masturbate because you're a man of a certain age it's like do you do it at all of course he masturbates well in and then she's like, can you masturbate in front of me? And that shocked me because I was like, wait, you've never seen him jerk off? What exactly do you do together? And also she's astonished that he goes into the bedside drawer and gets lube. And he's like, you know, I'm not a young man anymore. It's like everyone uses lube. <laughs> That's not exclusive to being in your 60s, I don't think. Yeah. And by the way, let's be real. If Big really was masturbating, he's, he'd be like, hold on, let me get my iPad, open up the bookmark <laughs> tab to Pornhub where it's like stepbrother destroys naughty babysitter. <laughs> Totally. They've had fucking dirty talk. Remember when she's dating Burger and Big calls her and he's like, I was thinking about you in the red dress and she's like the Prada, the Gucci and like yeah, they have yeah. phone sex. Yeah. Did she not think he was jerking off then? 
I don't know. Maybe they just got disconnected over the years or something. But I did feel like when she was like, can you jerk off in front of me or whatever? I was like, oh, this does like feel like watching my uncle jerk off or something. <laughs> Chelsea? No, not in, a, not in a like dark and depraved way, but in just like a generally uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. Like I feel like I'm watching something I shouldn't be seeing. They're like mom and dad. Yeah. Not to say that they aren't like hot people. Obviously, they're fucking hot people. We don't mean this as a diss. It's just, it does feel like there are parents in a weird way. Yeah, it's too familial. So the other thing of the episode is, I guess Charlotte's storyline for the episode is we got to get the girls in Oscar de la Renta to the piano recital. Yeah, I'm really curious to know what her plot line is throughout this because we ha- actually have no idea. We do know that she has a bulldog named <laughs> Richard Burton, which I was so happy about. This dog is adorable this dog is a star we should say you are biased because you too have an English bulldog yeah although Richard Burton is an interesting name for a bulldog because Richard Burton was very classically attractive and I think that bulldogs are very untraditionally attractive you know what I mean but I do want to say that our Instagram followers actually did predict this name which I think is cute when we posted about this dog good for you guys yeah um So Charlotte's big thing in the opening episode is getting everyone to this piano recital. And Carrie's like, we're going east? Which I was like, what does east mean? And they mean the Hamptons, which we had done a previous episode rewatch and pondered like, wouldn't Big have a house in the Hamptons? Yeah. They don't hit this point too hard until the end of the second episode, but it's kind of like Carrie's like, I chose not to have children so I could just leave and go to the Hamptons on a Wednesday. Right. And Charlotte's like, you should like really come. (laughs) Charlotte does bully her into going. <laughs> Let's be real. I think everyone looked really amazing at Lily's recital. Like Charlotte and the girls brought it. Carrie, this was my favorite look of the episode by far. The wedding shoes, which I don't even want to talk about this, but we'll get into it in a bit. Right, which when we posted that outfit on our account from a paparazzi photo, people posited because we were like, did those shoes survive 13 years? And then uh, a bunch of people in the comments were like, no, she just bought another pair. No, those are her wedding shoes, which will become very symbolic, as you guys know, in in a few moments. But I thought Anthony's shade against Rose's outfit, like I would kill for a tween daughter that dressed like little Edie. Okay, I don't even think it was giving little Edie, though. It wasn't. It was just the closest. It was not giving little Edie. It was giving, like, I don't know. She was wearing one of those little knit kitty hats, you know? It was, like, more, like, twee and thrift shoppy than anything. It didn't feel as intentional as little Edie. Um, It was giving me a bit of skater boy vibes. Yeah. But, yeah, Stanford and Anthony looked great. Again, Nicole Ari Parker looked stunning at the recital. Was it just me or did the fight between Anthony and Stanford about Stanford being mad at Anthony for leaving him and Anthony being like, you took an hour to get dressed? It kind of reminded me of maybe a disagreement that you and Tatiana have potentially had. (laughs) Yeah, we have fights all the time about, not all the time, but we've had a fair amount pertaining to getting dressed and one of us having problems and the other one not being supportive enough and it's it's that shit is real but we should say you would never get an uber without tab no no and their their marriage i'm kind of happy to say is as unhappy as you would expect because they shouldn't fucking be married to each other (laughs) and them being the last ones left as michael patrick king told us when we asked him about why they got married is not a justification for a long-term happy marriage i know but i'm over it now i support this union now i don't know why i just i got i got into it 
maybe that's something that Anne just like that did bring to the table a little bit. It did it did really make me want to root for them as a couple, especially after, as you said, this extremely relatable fight. But guess what? Stanford looked amazing, so it was worth the extra time. Yeah, exactly. You know, Rome wasn't built in a day. Sometimes to craft a really fabulous outfit, you just have to put in the time, you know? And then they get in another mini fight and Stanford just disappears until after the recital because he thought that Anthony was trolling men on Instagram when Anthony, love this foreshadowing, is looking for men for his hot sourdough business. (laughs) Or as Stanford calls him, a sourdough Mussolini. Okay, also we need to talk about something really tragic and uncomfortable, which is that Miranda is an alcoholic now. I was going to wait till the second episode to bring this up, but I'm like, she's giving me Meg Ryan and When a Man Loves a Woman vibes. <laughs> I was like, yeah, because before her law class, she goes to a bar and it's like, okay, whatever. She has preschool nerves. It's totally understandable. She's going back to school for the first time in 30 years. Then she brings her own bottle of wine to the recital, which not that we haven't done that. Ourselves. No, we've definitely <laughs> done that. I mean, I remember the both of us definitely got like blackout drunk while seeing one of the Scream films once, which I hope we can do that again when we see uh... Scream 5 in January. Yeah. We have to. It's tradition now. <laughs> yeah. So she brings wine and she's like, it's wine o'clock or whatever the fuck she says. I forget. Anyway, red flag, red flag. Also, I know that alcoholism is a disease that can get progressively worse as time goes by. But like, I did not see this for her. I didn't either, especially because they've given the woke awakening storyline and maybe a gay storyline to Miranda and seemingly nothing at this point to Charlotte. So it's like, wait, is Miranda getting a woke storyline, potentially a gay storyline, and an alcoholism storyline? Okay. <laughs> okay. I mean, there's so many things. Is she drinking because she doesn't want to fuck Steve? Is she drinking because yes. she was having like an existential crisis about her work and her also, role yes. in the world? Because it was the pandemic and everyone just started drinking during the day. Yes. And- all of the above. I, I yeah, see, I would like this more for Charlotte. I would love a sobriety plotline for Charlotte. Ooh, I would love that storyline for Charlotte because they're seemingly giving three seasons worth of plot points to Miranda in episode one. Yeah, justice for Charlotte. Also, I'm very intrigued because, okay, if they are in fact pairing Miranda with Shay. Shay is like a full drug addict. Not that weed is really a drug, but like it seems like if you're on a sobriety journey, maybe like you don't date the person that like is like, I'm just so hyped from recording that podcast. I just have to like come down with some weed. Like I I smoke weed. Can you imagine if I said or did that? You do, but you also have like a cool, chic little vape pen. I was more stunned that Shay is smoking a pipe in public when weed is medicinally (laughs) legal, but I don't think recreationally legal in New York, right? Yeah, I mean, it's more that just everyone vapes now. So it seems a little old school to in public be smoking weed. Okay, in an elevator. That's another thing I need to talk about. So Shay confronts Carrie in this elevator about the fact that she's not bringing her A-game to the podcast and she's being really conservative. 
this is the longest elevator ride in the history of the world. And at no point does it stop and like someone gets on or off or anything. What is this, the world's fucking tallest building or something? And I think they're on the 35th floor, you see. (laughs) It's almost as if it's a static set built on a soundstage. (laughs) Anyway, I think it's becoming clear that I guess Miranda is going to be California sober in the future. Potentially. But actually, I am intrigued. Like, I'm surprised that they're giving this to her, but I am interested in it. Yeah, I didn't think much of it in the first episode, but there's another scene in the second episode where I went, hmm, something's going on here. I think we're also talking about everything so we don't have to get to the, uh, let's call it the Peloton (laughs) in the room. Okay, so Lily is fucking killing it at this recital. Like, this girl is, like, going off... But the second they started cutting between the piano recital and big on the Peloton, we knew what was about to happen. I, Tad and I screamed. Like we were like had the blanket like pulled up over our faces watching this whole scene. I couldn't handle the anticipation of what was going to happen. And I was watching it on my laptop. And like with Netflix, if you put your mouse over the timeline, it'll show you a little thumbnail of like what's happening in future scenes. Right. So I was actively watching it, but I just put my mouse over towards the end. And I was like, okay, he's on the ground. So he does have a heart attack. (laughs) And like just continued watching. I couldn't take the pressure. It was really upsetting to watch this. I was surprised by how upsetting it was actually. I could not believe that this was the storyline for two reasons. So we had either someone DM'd us, and I'm sorry we don't remember your name, or someone called the hotline where when that second trailer dropped and it was big on the Peloton, they were like, I think big dies on the Peloton. And I didn't think that that was going to happen because... One, how would Peloton ever sign off on this? I know. This bike literally killed Mr. Big. That is now what I associate with Peloton. And Peloton has had a rough two years. You remember 2019 is when they did that problematic Christmas ad where the husband gets his wife a Peloton and everyone took it to mean like work your fat ass out. And then they came back from that because of a pandemic and everyone bought Pelotons. They They were on a high. And now it's like you've killed, granted, our problematic, but a fan favorite character. I know. I half expected the Peloton to start talking like the greeting card from Jawbreaker and be like, I killed Big. <laughs> Deal with it. And on Big's a thousandth ride. Ugh. This was the point where Tat got hysterical, by the way. (laughs) She started crying hysterically and did not stop until I think the end of the next episode, really. I think it is jarring and upsetting. And I'm about to say something that maybe is even more jarring and upsetting, but I know that this would not happen in a million years, but I thought it would be funny and complete the masturbation storyline if maybe Carrie would have found him after he died from a freak autoerotic asphyxiation <laughs> accident. Well, I mean, he is a real estate finance gu- Bro. guy. Yeah. I mean, don't they love autoerotic asphyxiation? Then the voiceover at the end of the episode could have been, and just like that, I learned how big masturbated. Oh. <laughs> <sighs> Yeah, the David Carradine version uh, of Van Just Like That. I screamed when that voiceover came in. And just like that, Big died. What? I can't even comprehend this. 
I scream laughed so loudly because you don't hear her voiceover for the entire episode. We, <laughs> yeah. We just... had posited that the podcast would have been a stand-in for the voiceover to carry the storyline over. And, you know, it's a 45-minute episode. You don't hear it for 44 minutes. And I was like, all right, I guess we're not going to get it. And then... And just like that. <laughs> Big died. I thought the wedding shoes getting ruined in the shower, she holds a dying big, was like a very... It was perfect. I think it was great. And by great, I mean extremely upsetting. When she screamed John, oh my God. I mean, I think we have to give some props to the actors in this scene who were incredible. The two episodes that we watch present incredible acting by Sarah Jessica Parker and really acting she hasn't gotten to do on the show, really. Yeah. Not even in the first film during her Mexicoma. No, no. I mean, the biggest breakdown we've ever seen her have was when Big left her on her wedding day. And then before that, I guess her with the McDonald's and the beret. (laughs) Yeah, that seems minor by comparison. But when you see some of the shit that she does in these two episodes, it is jarring and you do feel for her so deeply. I mean, I feel like I lost someone. In a way, there was no other choice but to do this. Again, we were kind of hoping for a zany big is a Bernie Madoff type and has to go to jail and Carrie, you know, loses the apartment. But yeah, this also gets us there. I was also shocked by it because... We know that this is the exact way that Big was going to die in Sex and the City 3. This was brought to our attention, I believe, by Michael Patrick King on that Origins podcast, which was really fantastic about the show. It was a heart attack in the shower. Yeah. So this is exactly how it was written in the lost Sex and the City film. So I was just shocked that they still chose to do it after it had come out. But it was still shocking. It didn't it didn't matter. Yeah, Chelsea, don't work harder, work smarter. Yeah, I, I, mean, I stand by this. Throw choice. a Peloton in there and, you know, make it pandemic-y. I mean, at least he didn't die of COVID. I've already seen in the hours between the episodes has aired and us recording this that a general reaction amongst the internet is bitch, call 911. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what we said, too. I mean, we were screaming at the TV because he was just alive like two seconds ago. You know, he was there and then he was gone. And Chris Noth did some excellent face acting. Oh, die acting. You can really tell if an actor's good how they die. Yeah. Steve Buscemi, excellent die actor. Yeah, he was great at dying. Is what we're supposed to understand that Big, in a way, was almost waiting to see Carrie one last time? Because he sees her and then he... That's how I interpreted it. Thank God he didn't die completely alone. What do you think Carrie does with the Peloton? Is it a cursed (laughs) Peloton now? I get that thing out of my fucking house, honestly. Okay, so then he dies. We get the voiceover and it goes to the credits, which ironically use, you've got the love. (laughs) Michael Patrick King had a real like Quentin Tarantino-y moment with that music choice. It's the same song that's used at the end of the series and that montage. I mean, I would have gone with the Frank Ocean version of Moon River, but I do think it worked. Although I couldn't help but think about other possible songs that they could have used. I mean, can you imagine if it just cut to Jennifer Hudson's All Dressed Up in Love or Fergie's (laughs) labels? 
or love. Well, you know how the thing in trailers is they take a, a song from popular music and then just do like a haunting choir? Right. What if they did that with Fergie's labels or love? <laughs> Perfection. You know, Lauren, watching this show has really unleashed my inner carry. I suddenly feel a very strong urge to shop. I need new clothes and I need them immediately. I know. I didn't think I would feel this way, but I'm jonesing for like a Charlotte-esque pencil skirt. And it's like, who am I? A hot mom who lives on the Upper East Side. I mean, that is part of my 10-year plan. Anyway... As we know, looking like a hot mom can be expensive, which is why I'm so happy we are partnering with Zip. Zip is an easy-to-use app that allows you to pay for purchases over time. Yeah, and re-watching the original series, I realized that it didn't teach me the healthiest of financial habits. So I'm glad to have Zip in my life because paying for things in a series of regular installments is way more chill. That's what I love about the buy now, pay later model. It's an easy, quick, and convenient way to manage your budget. And you know, Chelsea, Zip has become an essential part of my personal financial toolkits. Okay, Miranda. And Zip is global, baby. I know we have a lot of listeners in the UK and Australia. Use it at thousands of retailers in-store or online. And for those in the US, you can use it anywhere major credit cards are accepted. Going to brunch with the girls and want to spread the bill over regular installments? Use Zip, baby. Need a vintage candy striper outfit so you can surprise your ailing ex in the hospital Ooh, that <laughs> that really hits differently after this episode oh uh, it does use zip for that though and if you need a giant tub of la mer so you can look like sarah jessica parker in your 50s use zip simply download the app from the google player apple app store register and link your card and start shopping at your favorite retailers and then enjoy your purchases we will include a link to download the app in the show notes so you can shop your little hearts out so we're into the second episode i frankly needed a a trigger warning that was like excessive crying because i was not prepared for like the emotional high that everyone was on yeah to be fair it was like 2 a.m when i was watching (laughs) so the second episode opens with brady fucking some chick didn't need that I mean, someone had to be having sex. So far, all we've gotten is big half jerking off. No one has sex on this show. I mean, I'm sure they will. I'm sure it's just a matter of time. But that is a noticeable difference. So Miranda is so unwoke that she embarrasses herself the first day of law class, but she is woke enough that she's allowing her 17-year-old son to openly fuck his girlfriend in their house, in their bedroom that's next to each other. Girl, didn't you buy a Brooklyn brownstone in 2003? (laughs) Shouldn't there be at least four stories in this house? Yeah. Oh, God, we didn't even talk about Miranda's microaggressions. Uh, there's enough in episode two that we can get into guys yeah, they've made her Karen-y, which who knew you know well she seems to be every shade of karen like she's the white savior karen and then like the put one's foot in your mouth karen she makes a reference to thank god i wasn't filmed or else i'd be a meme and it's like mm, you wouldn't be a meme <laughs> if you still were at your corporate job you would have been fired for what you did in class probably that first day yeah, it's it's hard for me to watch Miranda like this because it's not just that she's kind of a Karen, it's that she's kind of a doofus in this show in a way that we've never really seen her be. Like, she always definitely had her awkward moments and, like, weird shit always happened to her, but it never felt like, I don't know, she was kind of embarrassing. 
Yeah, I'm of two minds about this because I wonder if this was the influence of the newer writers that's like, no, actually Miranda wouldn't be woke. You just are looking at it from your white bubble and you think she, just because she's the most woke out of this group doesn't mean that outside in the actual New York she would be. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. But yeah, I have to agree with you tonally. Throughout these first two episodes, there were a lot of points where I didn't know where I was. Like when they get the call, Miranda gets the call, she goes to see Carrie. And when she hugs Carrie, it's this emotional moment. It was very reminiscent of when Carrie goes to Miranda on New Year's Eve. But then they roll, the Emmy like rolls Big's body out in the background. (laughs) I just started laughing. Me too. And then Tat like screamed at me. It was like, it's not funny. I'm like, okay, it's kind of funny though. Like- Obviously, people grieve in different ways. I think laughing at something may be my response to something like that, although there w- it was very campy. In talking about the episodes with you, I kind of realized like maybe they're geniuses because in many ways this is writing or it's portraying the roller coaster of emotions a lot of us has have felt in the last two years, which are like mm. moments from pure despair to like inappropriately laughing. I just can't, could not believe when you saw the body bag in the back. I could not. I just couldn't. I couldn't believe that. It was also like, why? <laughs> it's like, we know he's dead. <sighs> um, also, so Miranda sleeps in bed with Carrie, which is something none of them did in the first film. But okay, there's a lot of sleeping in bed with each other. Well, you don't want to sleep alone. Like after you're used to sleeping with someone and then your sleeping partner is no longer with us. For sure. But how do Big and Carrie still have the smallest fucking bed? (laughs) I know. I know. Roxanne Gay brought that to my attention. How tiny the bed is in the second film. It's like, it's literally, it's not even like a queen. I feel like it's like a full size bed. It is a full-size bed. Get a California king. What is this? Carrie is haunted by Big in a flashback while she's sleeping. Did you recognize what episode it's from? Yeah, I forget. It's season two, episode one, Take Me Out to the Ball Game. It's the first time that Carrie actually runs into Big after they've broken up. It's when she's out with the uh, hot Yankee. The hot Yankee. Oh, right. Of course. I think they only use this specific clip because it's the only clip of like slow-mo. So it looks very dramatic. Yeah. I liked that they did that, although it upset me. I now realize, Chell, that we have been robbed of the Six Feet Under Sex in the City crossover we always wanted, (laughs) which is Carrie going to Fisher's and Sons (laughs) to deal with Big's funeral. You can't tell me, okay, taking ourselves outside of the context of Sex in the City, that Big having a heart attack after completing a Peloton ride isn't an opening death scene from Six Feet Under. Oh, it's very Six Feet Under. Yeah. So, yeah, they go to the funeral home. The vibe is not correct. And by they, I mean Carrie and Charlotte. And Charlotte, who storyline this episode is that she's just crying. Which I actually thought these were the kind of some of the funniest, strongest scenes. This is where it hits you know, for our reference point, a very first wives club emotional comedic beat. Yeah. Which I hope that they kind of stick to that. I think it works really strongly because Charlotte is convinced that Carrie blames her for killing Big. How could you not convince yourself of that, though? That's just real, like. Which is weird because we know that the real villain is Lily. (laughs) Again. (laughs) Lily, who put Carrie's cell phone and hid it on the day of her wedding when Big was trying to call her. And... 
Lily, who if she hadn't had a recital, I guess Carrie would have been in the Hamptons to witness Big having a heart attack and would have been able to call 911. <sighs> they really do put a lot on Lily, considering she's just living her life, you know? And a child prodigy at that. Yeah. The funeral happens at an art gallery come wake location. <laughs> like, I didn't take Big or Carrie for some, like, dead tech Robert Longo funeral vibe people. It was... <laughs> Very Robert Longo funeral. And this gallery that's run by lesbians, two lesbians we've never met before, but evidently Carrie knows. Carrie's like, thank God for these lesbians because every other um, funeral venue was just like very tacky. And the lesbians come out and they're both wearing leather shirts and big chunky glasses. And it was at that moment that I realized I need a leather shirt. Like I need, that needs to be my new look. Ooh, and I think you should wear fashion specs too. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna make it happen for myself. They were very fab. Did you enjoy the shout out to lesbians? What, when Carrie was like, Thank God for these lesbians. Yeah. Yeah, of course, you know. So Stanford and Anthony are with her. Stanford and Anthony who come together and are going to drop all of their grievances because, you know, that's what death does. Oh, I thought that was a very sweet scene yeah. between them where they're like why are we fighting this is bullshit we're so lucky to have each other that really got me by the way are you wearing that cologne i can't stand wait no <laughs> drop it drop it drop it that was great i feel like that was one of the best jokes in the in the episode yeah i again another point of levity in this very heavy episode is the exchange between stanford and anthony where you know stanford's like look at my girl giving us a look today because she knew people would be (laughs) expecting it she's kind of our jackie kennedy and anthony goes maybe don't say that to her and stanford goes oh i did already i already did i thought that was great which by the way If my husband died suddenly and I was pulling looks, that's exactly what I want to hear. I don't want to hear, am I okay? I want to hear, you look amazing. Well, it's also true. She did pull a whole ass look. And a hat. She didn't put a bird on it. Yeah, there was no bird. She was wearing a fascinator. It was very like Christian Dior's vision for women's wear in the 1950s kind of vibe. But yeah, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. I don't personally love a hat, but obviously Carrie loves a tiny hat. It's very her. I love a hat as well. I've been told I have a face for hats, which always feels like a dig at my looks, but I I get it. I do. I do. (laughs) Yeah, that's rude. It's like you have a face for a beekeeper outfit or something. You have a face for podcasting. (laughs) I love the exchange between Stanford and Anthony, but didn't it seem like Anthony would be the one to tell her that she looks like Jackie Kennedy and Stanford would be the one to be like, don't say that to her? Yeah, it does feel like a bit of a reversal, but I loved that. Okay, Chelsea? Who the fuck is Gloria? Suddenly we're introducing new characters. Big's long-term secretary. Where the fuck is Raul, Big's longtime driver? I don't know, but I bet Gloria knows where he's buried. (laughs) Oh, I mean, I, I think we would be remiss in not discussing the floral arrangement. Oh. At um So Carrie wants no flowers again to go with this Robert Longo dead tech funeral vibe. <laughs> and she sees a beautiful array of flowers on Big's coffin. Yeah, orchids. So still minimalist, you know, chic. And the the lesbians tell her. Yeah, Carrie's like, where the fuck are these flowers from? I said no flowers, except it wasn't delivered like that at all. But I feel like that was the sentiment. Uh, Yes, and they give her a card and it just says, love, Samantha. Aw. 
Yeah. So Samantha came through with the flowers. She didn't, you know, fly back from London to support Carrie in this harrowing moment, but we all know why that is. Because the actress (laughs) is not in the series. Yeah. Somehow Samantha went to Philadelphia for Miranda's mother's funeral, but couldn't find her way to fly back to New York for Big's funeral. She flew back to New York like every chance she could when she moved to L.A. She's like, oh, you're having a housewarming party? Great. I'm there. You know what? Samantha would have flown back, but Annabelle Bronstein wouldn't let her. Some points of these two episodes were very tonally bizarre. One of them is when Gloria Biggs, heretofore never mentioned before, (laughs) secretary goes to sit down and Sanford's like, you're in my seat. Like, you can go sit in the back. And even Anthony's like, what the fuck? And he's like, I need to sit next to my best friend and I need my husband to be sitting next to me. It's like, let the old lady... Yeah, it's like, calm down, literally no one's here. Just move the cards all to one direction or the other. So this uh, is definitely not the last we're seeing of this woman. Yeah, I believe that this Gloria was introduced because she is going to either give Carrie Biggs will or some private note that explains he had a kid with Natasha or is supporting her somehow. Right. And then we get the moment where Miranda forces the bartender to give her a Chablis. Why she's a, she, why is it always Chablis? When she goes to the bar before her <laughs> law class, it's a glass of Chablis. Which I was like, oh, is this a nod to when she met Steve? Because she went to a bar and drank a glass of wine. And then I, did, I couldn't understand this moment. It's like the bartender wasn't giving her the Chablis fast enough. Or she was like, actually, give me the whiskey. I don't know what that moment was about. And she explains that she needs this drink because she's about to give a eulogy. Right. Again, fair enough. A lot of this, I suppose, could be explained away. Although these three moments in the first two episodes, it's kind of a lot. Yeah. Yes. So Miranda gives her eulogy, which we learned was actually written by Carrie, which explains a lot because it's giving me very uh, (laughs) Carrie at Miranda's interior decorator's wedding speech vibes. Yeah, totally. His endings were her beginnings. Although I kind of wish Carrie just delivered it herself and also worn something really dramatic, like the dress that Bjork wore to Alexander McQueen's funeral. I'm really surprised that Carrie's restraint not to wear a veil. Yeah. I'm always looking for excuses to wear veils. Okay, guys, we're back with drinks now because (laughs) while we were recording... Someone knocked on the door and it was like an intense knock. I was like, are we about to be murdered? Or raided by the FBI. (laughs) But it was really just a lovely UPS guy who gave us a box filled with um, all of the essential ingredients to make a cosmopolitan. From the good people at Absolute, so thank you. Uh, So now we're drinking Cosmos, guys, and it's uh, it's two o'clock. I mean, this is feeling a little bit like Miranda alcoholism plotline, but you know, YOLO. Speaking of Miranda, you also know that Carrie wrote this eulogy because, I'm sorry, you can't retcon this, Miranda fucking hated Big. Yeah. And so I'm wondering where was the part where Miranda goes off script and says to Carrie, like, I'm sorry about all those years that I fucking hated Big and, you know, told you you were pathetic for going back to him. And, oh, that time that I told him he was crazy to marry you the night before your wedding and then kept that a secret for a year. I suppose now you wish you had that year back with him. Uh, Oops. (laughs) Whatever. It wasn't her fault. One moment I really, really loved during the funeral was, of course, the reveal of Susan Sharon. This was iconic. 
And this is also, I believe, something that was originally in the third film because we had talked to Michael Patrick King about it. He talked about it to us vaguely and did say something that led us to believe that there would be some sort of moment like this. Right. Susan Sharon turns to the person sitting next to her and she goes, Am I the only one that remembers what a prick he was to her? I screamed. Look, I am Susan Sharon. Susan Sharon is me. <laughs> Susan, Susan Sharon, whose big episode, pun intended, was season two, episode two, The Awful Truth, which is where she contemplates leaving her husband because Carrie told her to after he yells at her. Susan Sharon is someone that is from Candace's original story. It's someone that Candace knew and it is very much believed to be the Real Housewives of New York favorite, Dorinda Medley. Bless. And Susan Sharon is giving us I made it nice energy at this funeral. Did you feel like maybe in 30 years I will be Susan <laughs> Sharon? I hope so. She looks great. Oh, she looks incredible. But after the funeral, she goes up to Carrie and is like, I read the obit in the New York Times, which is like, Damn, okay. Of course there was an obit in the New York Times. If he was really the real Mr. Big, he would have been a like a folk hero from Candace's columns, right? Like he actually was, you know. Right, right, right. But Susan Sharon says to her, she goes, it's all in the past. I'm no longer mad at you. No need for a mea culpa. <laughs> Goodbye. You're forgiven. But... It's true. It was giving Real Housewives energy. I loved it. I would have died if Susan Sharon just went up to Carrie's face and went, clip, clip. <laughs> Chelsea's awkwardly laughing because she doesn't know what I'm referencing. Yeah, but I have I know, no idea. I know you, dear listeners, will. So as mentioned before, we see Bitsy Von Muffling again. Who knew she was just such a big character? Yeah, I guess Nathan Lane wasn't tech avail for this shoot. <laughs> so they just decided to kill So off they Bob. killed him. <laughs> I so when they showed the wide shot of the audience I obviously clocked Bitsy Von Muffling and I was like oh wow Nathan Lane looks different and then it's revealed it's not it's of his. course it's not Nathan Lane I don't know <sighs> anyway Bitsy says you know Carrie I know what you're going through because my Bobby he died during COVID we don't know if he died of COVID, COVID. I hope he didn't die of COVID as I'm talking through these episodes with you, Chelsea, and I hope we're helping you guys kind of figure out process how to them. <laughs> process them. We are this. processing this, yeah. But I actually am now looking at these episodes in a new light, and I do think that they are genius because I think it is this weird amalgamation of all the disparate feelings we've felt over the last two years. Look, in general, I really enjoyed watching this. I cannot wait to watch these episodes again. It feels weird almost recording this now because I kind of want to have a better sense of how we'll feel about it once we've watched Hello, It's Me like 50 times. Which uh, now I'm calling the first episode Hello, It's Me Masturbation. Look, it's not very similar to the original series. It's a completely new beast. Some of it works, some of it doesn't. But at the end of the day, it's a very entertaining, very watchable show. And I think having Big die while upsetting was shocking. It's not how I wanted to spend my first two hours with these characters. But now that you've gotten that out of the way, I think we can have kooky fun. And I think that's where it is. It is heading. But... 
we're never getting the series back, guys. That was a moment in time and it's ended and I... Well, that version of New York doesn't exist anymore. And I don't think and just like that is necessarily as tapped into the current moment as Sex and the City was, except maybe in the sense that it does feel like the show is very concerned with not offending anyone in a way that does feel entirely of the moment in a very different way. I think if we've learned anything from the years of running the account, there is a very avid audience that is looking for what Sex and the City was, but today and there it's weird we have this conversation all the time there really isn't a show about fabulous men and women in their 30s no you know escapists going to the best restaurants going to the coolest things no that that show does not exist but this you know it's really a combination of two things that i like which is the sex in the city franchise and sort of movies or television shows about women that are over 50, which the First Wives Club, Book Club, all of those club movies, you know? I'll watch any of that shit. Yeah, I I did feel at times the emotions were a little too high. It felt like going to a party of a friend you haven't seen in a while when you walk up they're like scream crying at their partner and it's like whoa okay i like just got here guys can we like maybe take it down i haven't even had a drink totally well also i think there's a lot of tension within the show itself because on one hand we can see what was essentially the sex in the city three script that has been adapted and retooled for television for a post-pandemic world and this sort of new very politically correct very socially conscious sort of atonement for the past transgressions of the franchise which you know doesn't feel entirely authentic but which puts it sort of in a strange place right from scene to scene it can be very very different yeah and they're finding their footing but still the funniest lines i think you and i agree are the most quote-unquote politically incorrect lines I think it's interesting. They're kind of manufacturing all of these plot lines so that the white leads can sort of address their privilege and whatnot. When you could have situations that feel really organic to the show, like I can imagine a scene where Anthony says something really politically incorrect or racist or transphobic, and then Miranda gets really pissed at him and they get into a fight because she's just read, what was the book she read? White Fragility. Exactly. You know, at least with the Karen Pittman character with Miranda, she seems to still, the POC person still seems to be doing the emotional labor of making sure that the white woman understands. Although, yeah. I guess if a, a person dressed up as Chucky attacks you on the subway, all is forgiven? What the fuck was that? Again, I think it is encompassing all of these moments we've felt over the last two years. I was like, is this going to turn into a horror film? For a second, I was like, oh, this is where this really heavy show about grief like turns into like a don't look now type situation. <laughs> I would have really loved if like Carrie just fucked some random guy right after the funeral or something and it got really dark and like, you know, like an Isabelle Huppert role. Or yeah, Mary Gateskill novel. Yeah. Well, I think that was, I think originally Sex in the City, the column and the book was closer to Mary Gateskill than what the show ended up being, you know? Moving on, how did you feel about this Miranda Butch energy foreshadowing that we saw between her and Che? <sighs> okay, well, we need to talk about what happened at the funeral because Miranda, despite being a high-functioning alcoholic herself, 
<laughs> sees Brady smoking weed with Shay. Which I thought because she was letting her son fuck in the room next to them. I was like, oh, he must be a college student. But she makes the point that he's a minor. And it's like, okay, where is the line, Miranda? Because Miranda seems to be the cool parent that's like, you could have sex under my roof, but you can't smoke weed because it's not 2021. I know. I was like, weren't you just wearing skinny jeans and smoking weed on the street like not even that long ago? This anti-marijuana attitude is really weird because I just don't think that she would give a shit. Anyway, so she gets in into it with Shay, basically calls them a drug pusher. Like, oh, are you just at this funeral pushing drugs or whatever? Which a funeral pop pusher is a needed <laughs> service at funerals. And Chelsea, after we record this podcast, I want to have a conversation about maybe a new business venture for us. Oh, well, I just wanted to I want to put it on the record that if I should have an untimely Peloton related death like Mr. Big, I want an open bar at my funeral. And I also want marijuana. I was going to say, an open weed bar Ooh, do you think we can get absolute to sponsor my funeral <laughs> absolute and maybe Edie parker <laughs> that would be really perfect well uh, and as we've established in a previous episode you would make us all wear caftans mm-hmm. so miranda just freaks out and has another karen moment with shay and then is yelling at brady and she delivers this line that i screamed when i heard it which was Maybe I should kill myself so you can try crack. (laughs) Which sounds like something that Mink Stoll would say in a John Waters film. I suppose if my mom yelled at me, should I kill myself so you can do crack? It's like, yeah, I'd be pretty sad. (laughs) Yeah, like, can you really judge me for taking comfort in drugs if you commit suicide? Also, you won't be here. (laughs) Thanks for abandoning me, mom. Yeah, Jesus. Anyway... This is not Miranda's finest moment. And of course, she has no idea that Shay is Carrie's boss, basically. And her future lover. And her future lover. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I will say that I do relate to Miranda's emotional temperament, which is to immediately get way too mad first and then feel very bad about it and Mm. try to reel it back in. (laughs) Mm -hmm. No, I'm not saying anything. I'm not saying anything at all. There's some energy going on between the two of them. Guys, I know a lot of you have said to us, like, stop putting this queer narrative on Miranda, but you can't deny. They're putting it all over us. (laughs) You can't deny the sparkage. I know. Sparks are flying at Mr. Big's funeral. Actually, Mr. Big would have wanted people to get laid at his funeral. That I do believe. Yeah. I also think that Mr. Big would have wanted like a jazz quartet or something, but I guess that just didn't really fit with Carrie's Robert Longo sort of scenario. She needed like Glenn Branca to be playing Big's funeral. Yeah, she needed Brian Eno or someone. (laughs) Even though Mr. Big has like really basic taste in music, which we learned in the first episode, or not basic, but like every time Big and music are involved, it, it gets a little like... It starts to feel a little Big Chill-esque. You know what I mean? <laughs> it, it does. I was about to say it gets a little my dad. Well, okay. Hello, It's Me by Todd Rundgren is an objectively great song. But, you know, in the canon of Sex in the City, Carrie makes a huge point that it used to drive her nuts that Big would play Blood, Sweat, and Tears. I would have expected like a Blood, Sweat, and Tears song or fucking Moon River. Yeah, I know. Although if we were on the writing staff, which I don't know, maybe if you've heard our ideas, you can understand why we were not on the writing team. Um, oh, we would have definitely just made this worse. But <laughs> or I, would we? 
Who knows? Guys, there's always season two, right? Am I right? I think we would have suggested. I'm sorry, I'm still not over and just like that big die. <laughs> I'm sorry, I have to kick it back to that. I'm never going to get over that. That was the most jarring, insane thing. I was going to say, if we were in the writer's room, I would have pitched, because I agree with you, there should have been a jazz quartet, and I would have brought back a Craig Bierko's ADHD jazz musician. And I would have had Raul come to pay his respects. So we're back at the house. This is where we learned that Samantha has so cruelly iced Carrie out because you see Carrie texting her on the Android, not the iPhone, that she thanks her for the flowers. And you see the other text messages <laughs> she sent to her, one of which is walked past La Perla today and thought about you. <laughs> I mean, that was genius. That was one of the funniest things in this episode, and it wasn't even spoken. Right. And I don't even think it was even intended to be read, really. It was more just like they wanted the viewer to see that she had been texting Samantha, and Samantha had not been responding. Well, it's for us psychos who get the reference that in season six, when Carrie is having bedroom problems with Berger... Samantha takes her to La Perla and the first thing Samantha says when she walks in is I I need something that a guy is going to come in his pants immediately also I believe would be considered workplace harassment today I was thinking about other things that Carrie maybe would have texted her like you know walk by a worldwide express guy the other day I almost <laughs> dropped to my knees and blew him in honor of you oh <laughs> uh. That would have been perfect if Worldwide Express was what delivered Big's ashes to her house. Also, what is this? There's no fucking courier? Like, it's just sitting there? Like, it's a fucking, you know, something from Amazon Prime or some shit? Well, it, it seems that the doorman took it and was like, here you go, Miss Lady. Hey, where's your husband? Okay, also, Carrie's hallway is lined with gifts, despite the fact that Carrie said, no gifts, I don't want that shit. And then Charlotte's like, you know, I could take this locks to the synagogue. <laughs> and I love Miranda's line where, because Carrie says, request no flowers. And Miranda goes, what do orchid people not understand about no fucking flowers? <laughs> <laughs> I will say the angrier they were, the happier I got. I was like, I enjoyed this vibe. So the, the last scene of the second episode is... Carrie calls Miranda because it's her night to stay with her. And Stanford, which love and Stanny being brought back into the group. Stanford looked amazing. Also, one of the standout outfits from this episode. However, two steps forward, one step back, Charlotte comes to the apartment unannounced and she fucking makes Stanford go into the other room. She's like, hide, Stanny. Char's here. I think we could have gotten an old school, I'm not going back to the closet line, but I guess that would not be true. I know. They're not making like obvious jokes about homosexuality anymore, unfortunately. Yeah, he just says, I'm not good at hiding, which is like... I'd rather he just not say anything. And going back to like, what the fuck is the tone of this show? Charlotte very sweetly brings her magazine. She said, I went to the good magazine store. I would like to think it's Ca it was Casa, Casa Magazine. Casa Magazines. <laughs> the only magazine store to go to in New York City. Uh, Unless that one on the south side of Bryant Park is still there, which I don't know. Someone report back. And... She sees Stanford run, dart past her, 
And she goes, who is that? Is that Stanford? She goes, oh, is Stanford here? And I'm like, are, I'm sorry, are we in some like TV land series? Is this Cougar Town? What are we doing? It's like, are you really gaslighting Charlotte to her fucking face after she went to Casa Magazines and got you every international edition of Vogue? The disrespect. Not Paris Vogue, though, which I found interesting. Maybe Charlotte was like, she's got too many bad memories around Paris. I don't want to, I don't want to go there. And then we get explosive Carrie which I was very into well one Charlotte bursts into tears because she's like you didn't invite me because you think I killed big which again you didn't kill big Lily killed big I think that's (laughs) canon now I think we all know (laughs) Lily killed big so this is another one of SJP's very satisfying grief-fueled acting moments Right. She tells Charlotte, I am mad, but I'm not mad at you. I'm mad at me. I'm mad at the fact that we didn't go to the Hamptons. Like I wanted to. Which I was like, oh, okay. If we're going to get, if this series is heading to like Carrie after being broken up with on a posted Julianne Moore freaking out in the pharmacy of Magnolia, I am here for this. Oh yeah. I loved that. I mean, it was satisfying because I think we haven't overtly said, although of course everyone just watched these episodes Carrie's grieving style is shocking which is having no emotion well I do wonder if as it was said in the first film that she cried all of the tears so she has no more tears to cry oh my god so these moments are just satisfying for the viewer because Carrie does not seem to be that upset about Big being dead it creates this uncomfortable tension right I thought when you said Carrie's grieving style, you meant the Batsheva dress and her in the dishwashing gloves that we saw, (laughs) her smoking outside her apartment. I'm excited. I mean, she is clearly headed towards some sort of psychotic break or something. I don't know. In our previous episode, you did say one of your favorite genres of film was... Oh, fabulous woman having a nervous breakdown in a beautiful house over the course of a long weekend. Yes. Yes, I would love it to go in that direction with a little bit of magical realism. Again, that a little bit of like black swan, don't look now vibes. What if her wedding Manolo Blahnik start talking to her <laughs> in Big's voice? That I love. Hey, kid, come over here. <sighs> she better get rid of that Peloton before it kills her too. <laughs> So it seems like the, and just like that big died isn't a one-off, it seems like the only time we're going to get Carrie voiceover is at the end of each episode. This episode was, and just like that, I learned how long five hours is. Or five hours can be. Because she wants to take her pills? She wants to take a sleeping pill. I had to ask Tat for clarification about that. And she was like, yeah, like someone, Charlotte or Miranda or someone said that, She can only take sleeping pills every five hours or something. I don't know. We clearly don't know what the fuck happened. No, sorry. My mind was just flashing on the scene in the first film after Carrie is left at the altar where she goes, I feel nothing. And then she lifts her empty glass that had vodka and she's like, I'd like to feel more nothing. Right. I think there were some moments in these episodes that I think I completely missed because I was completely shocked and just disturbed and preoccupied with something that happened in the previous scene. It's a lot to process all of this. So guys, I hope you enjoyed this slightly chaotic episode, but you know, we're just, 
We're being real here. We're processing it with you guys as it's happening. Yeah. If you have feelings and thoughts, we have a hotline. The number is 323-486-6773. If you have a Peloton, destroy it before it kills you. <laughs> oh, yeah. I got to look at the Peloton stock. Not that I own any of the stock, but I am genuinely curious <laughs> if it's gone down because of the series. If you are a liquor company that wants to send us free alcohol. Slide into our DMs. Chell, do you think our sign-off, we've been struggling for a podcast sign-off. Do you think our sign-off for these episodes should be uh, like, and just like that, we're done yeah. with the first episode? Oh, for sure. But what's our and just like that? And just like that, Charlotte did not get a clear plot line again. And just like that, Carrie's single again. Yeah, you hear that, fellas? <laughs> she is on the market. Oh, again, if we were in the writer's room, Carrie dates Pete Davidson? Mm-hmm. Love that for Carrie. He's one of uh, Anthony's sourdough boys. I would more like that to be how Samantha comes back. It's just that she's been dating Pete Davidson. Hi, ladies. I brought cock. (laughs) (laughs) He has the most amazing cock. So yeah, we'll be back each week with an episode rewatch. I think it won't be as chaotic as this episode, but we're going to have special guests on. I think I think we got something on the hotline about who's going to be our guest next week. Oh yeah, let's play the call. Hi, Lauren. Hi, Chelsea. It's Molly Rogers. The day of the New York premiere. I can't wait for you to see it. Can't wait to talk to you about it. There'll be lots of things to discuss. Very excited. I'm about to pop out of my Thanks. Okay, talk soon. So that would be, and just like that, costume designer Molly Rogers. She sounds really fun. Can't wait to talk to her. So yeah, stay tuned for fun guests like that. And let's cross our fingers that Charlotte gets a solid storyline next week. Yeah, let's all, let's put our prayers out to the universe and make that happen for our girl Char. And just like that, we're done with our first rewatch episode. (laughs) Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.